Food is uh, among, obviously, the, the most basic physical needs for human beings. Uh, it's universally essential for human life. Eventually, if you do not eat, you will die. Yet in our passage today, Matthew 6, 16 to 18, Jesus assumes the people who follow him will go without food on purpose. What we would call fasting, and they did as well. And it seems every religion has some form of fasting practices, of, of not eating food and depriving themselves for a season. And so as we look at this passage, Matthew 6, 16 to 18, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking to his disciples primarily, to those who want to know what it's like to follow him, to be a part of his community, to be in the kingdom of God. And he has already in this chapter of Matthew 6 talked about very common things that we accept and assume will happen in the life of those who follow Jesus. He's talked about giving and he's talked about praying and now he uses a very similar language to talk about fasting, of going without food. He's covered those things and helped his people and us today to understand the, the real purpose, the underlying intent of these practices and, and what we sometimes twist them for. And what he gives us is the main question, not how much do you eat, but what are you hungry for? So consider that question as we look at God's Word. Read with me, please. Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. This is God's Word. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men. But your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is God's Word. Lord, would you meet us here, please? Work in our hearts that we would be hungry for the best things. Lord, give us grace. Work through Your Word and Your Spirit. For we come in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever find yourself maybe in the kitchen looking through the cupboards, the cabinets, maybe looking in the refrigerator or the freezer trying to find it? You know, that thing that you're kind of hungry for but you're not sure and you look, oh, it's, it's not ice cream. No, I don't feel like ice cream, which is rare, but, you know. <laughs> Cookies, no. Fruit, no. Chicken, no. Definitely not chicken. Uh, I like chicken, but not right now. Meat, no. Rice, no. And you just kind of run through all the things, look in the cabinets, and you just have this sense that, boy, if I could just find it, 
I would then be satisfied. You ever have that experience? Uh, my wife and I have it so often that we've just, that's the thing in our house, right? I can't, you know, where is it? I don't know. I can't find it either. Well, in that situation, chances are, and you've probably realized this, that what you really long for is probably not food. There's probably something deeper that you're longing for. Uh, very often, right, we call it comfort food, right? Very often when we struggle and are feeling down, we tend to eat and gain some weight and those kind of things, right? There's, we eat for reasons other than we actually need food. We have these longings within, and we get them mixed up. They work at cross-purposes sometimes. And so that's a good question to ask. What are you hungry for? What is the hunger beneath the hunger? Next time you're looking for it, ask yourself that question. What's the deeper longing? Jesus here points out as he talks about giving and praying and now about fasting, he says, you know what? We very often are hungry for something other than food. And in these things of these religious activities especially, he points out that we're very often hungry for praise for attention. We do religious and good deeds to be noticed so that people will think better of us. Very often we're hungry to prove ourselves to other people, to prove ourselves maybe to God or even just to satisfy and, and, and alleviate our consciences that, that we're maybe not as bad as we think we are or as the voice inside our head tells us that we are. What are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? That question, Jesus wants to answer. And I think he answers it in our passage. He wants to, to help you escape from the endless search for those things that never satisfy. He wants to give you a path to satisfy the hunger beneath the hunger. Jesus wants you to know how to satisfy that deeper hunger. That's what our passage is about. Obviously, fasting is focused on your hunger. But if you understand what Jesus is saying here in the Scriptures in general, what they point to when they talk about fasting, it's not merely physical hunger. Done well... Fasting deals with that deeper hunger, that longing within. Jesus assumes, <coughs> I don't know if you noticed this as we read this few sh short passage right here, he assumes his followers will fast. He says, whenever you fast, in verse 16, verse 17, he says, but when you fast, it's the same exact language that he uses to talk about when you give, when you pray, he says, and when you fast. But then he says, did you notice, he explicitly talks about how to fast. In fact, he says, do not disfigure your face and look all gloomy so that people know you're fasting and will notice. Don't do that. He says, but what? Do this. Anoint your head and wash your face. Basically saying, just do the regular daily stuff. Don't screw up your face and walk around all gloomy and disheveled. 
keep up your normal routine if you want to truly fast. And it's in his explanation or his, his description, those two commands really, don't do this, do this, that he reveals the underlying intent. The, the, the how-to is, is pointing to how you address the deeper longing. It's as if Jesus says, look, you're going to fast. That's what religious people like us do. So examine what you're hungry for. Why are you fasting? And don't settle for the mere ritual. Don't settle for just having other people think you're wonderful and amazing. Don't settle for anything less than what will really satisfy. That as you go physically hungry, as you deprive yourself, that you can actually, in the midst of that, find what truly satisfies. And your fasting will be noticed by God and He will give you what you really need. He says at the end of verse 18, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret and He will reward you. We're going to talk about that some more, what he's talking about there. But the essence of it is this. Fasting is about your hunger for the Lord. That's what it reveals done well. It reveals that deeper hunger and also satisfies it. And we're going to unpack that first of all by looking more closely at what fasting is. And the first thing to recognize is that fasting, what it is, is a pause in what is good. You pause what is good. It's a chosen affliction. You pause what is good. You, you choose an affliction. First and foremost, it's, it's a voluntary abstinence from food. Obviously, we all probably know that, right? It's the choice to go hungry when you could eat. It's not, you know, you have to fast before blood work, you know. It's not a fast to, to diet and lose weight. It's, it's, it's a fast when you voluntarily withdraw from and deprive yourself of what is good. The only mandated fast, as far as I can tell, and from what I have read in commentaries, the, the only mandated fast in all of Scripture was on the Day of Atonement. In Leviticus 16, it describes that in a couple other places where God calls the people to fast. And he says it this way, you shall humble your souls. Uh, the ESV says you shall afflict yourselves. Two times, Leviticus 19.29 and Leviticus 19.31. The sense of this word that usually gets translated fasting is, is affliction. It, it's about being brought low. It's about uh, humility and humbling where you go lower. It, it, in fact, is about experiencing pain, suffering, oppression, even violation sometimes is the way it's used. The same word for, that gets often translated as fasting. It's the same word that describes the experience of God's people in Egypt in Exodus 1, 11, and 12 where it says they appointed, the Egyptians appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor, to make them suffer. And so fasting is a pause in what is good, where you pick up a chosen affliction, where you voluntarily suffer. 
And because it is an affliction, because it is suffering, because it is something voluntary that God says you can do, it is for a limited time. It's a chosen affliction for a limited time. Fasting is always limited. The longest fasts in the Bible were clearly supernatural. And there were only three that were 40 days. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. They went 40 days without food. That does not happen normally. Human beings die. You can't go and should not try to go that long without food. These were clearly supernatural. You can read more about them in Deuteronomy 9, 1 Kings 19, Matthew 4, and a couple of other places. But those three fasts, 40 days, only three people in all of history. The human body just was not meant to go without food that long. If you read through the scriptures, you see that most fasts are much, 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 much shorter. In fact, you often read the refrain that they fasted that day until evening. Most of the fasts in the Old Testament were that duration. Basically during the day. During the daylight hours. You can read that Judges 20, 26, 1 Samuel 7, verse 6, and 2 Samuel 1, verse 12. Other times, at least once, someone called for a fast for three days and three nights. Esther 4, 16, she said, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf as she was going to go into the king. Esther says, don't eat and don't drink for three days, night or day. And it's not, I don't think, coincidental that that's about as long as you can go without water. Three days. Now it was an extreme situation where God's people were facing extermination at the hands of a government decree. And Esther said, I will go and appeal to the king, but fast three days and three nights. That was exceptional and not the norm. There's another instance of fasting for seven days after the death of King Saul and his son, Jonathan. They fasted seven days. I can't prove this. I can't guarantee it. But the sense I have of that is that it was during daylight hours they fasted and mourned for that loss. Jesus expected his followers would fast. That's what our passage says. Whenever you fast. But there's no indication, and I encourage you, if you see something else in Scriptures, to let me know. But I don't see any indication that there is an obligation to fast in terms of denying yourself good food or food at all, what is good. Fasting doesn't make you a better Christian in God's eyes. However, pausing a good thing to pursue a better thing can grow your spiritual fitness if you're doing it for the right reasons. If you're focused on the right thing, which is clearly not being noticed by other people. It's not even proving your own self-control and discipline. It's certainly not to just lose weight. You know, you can do all those things may or may not be good. But if you want to fast and gain the benefit that Jesus is talking about here, it needs to be focused on what is better. Which leads to the next point, that we're not only to pause what is good, but we're to pursue what is better. 
You, you fast when you pause something that is good to then pursue what is better. And looking through the Scriptures, I see two main patterns of what people do to pursue what is better. One of them is oriented towards the past, and one of them is oriented to the future, but they both kind of have aspects of each. And the first one is that it's, it's very often linked with a breaking with past sin. That, that you pursue what is better, and you break with past sin. And Nehemiah led the people in fasting and confession as they came to terms with their sin after the exile in Nehemiah chapter 9. Wicked King Ahab, you know, the most evil of kings in ancient Israel, he even fasted when he was faced with judgment for his sin. 1 Kings 21, 27 to 29. The, the king of Nineveh called not only for a fast of his own household, but for all of Nineveh in hopes that God would relent of his judgment that Jonah declared in chapter 3 of Jonah. The very often fasting is linked with breaking with past sin. That you look back on your life and you say, I need to stop. I need to get away from this stuff. I need to cut it out of my life. It's bad. It's bad for me. And it could even be good things that are abused, but I want to break with the sin and move in a new direction. Moving in another direction, fasting is often linked with seeking future mercy. David fasted when his friends were sick. Psalm 35, 13 and 14. Daniel fasted during the exile as he sought God for help in difficult circumstances. Daniel 9 in particular. The people in exile, as we just looked at in Esther for a second there, they fasted when they found out about the decree to kill the Jews during the time of Esther. Esther prepared them, for, prepared to go in to see the king uh, uninvited, seeking future mercy that God would bless that effort, asking the people to fast. Nehemiah, similar circumstances before a different king, fasted before he went in to ask the pagan king for help. There's a sense in which as you look at fasting in the Scriptures, that it is sometimes oriented towards the future. Asking God for mercy. And it seems to be very often, you know, again, like I, I, I don't see that it's fasting asking God for direction and discernment. It seems to me, and again, if you see something in Scriptures that disagrees with this, please let me know. But I, I don't see that it's like, God, give me wisdom about this. What I see is, God, this seems to be the way that you are leading me to go. I'm resolved and convicted that this is what we ought to do. Lord, let's fast and, and pray that you would bless. You know, those circumstances I just said, those were kind of human wisdom saying, I think this is the right thing. Let's fast. And in that season of fasting, you read even in the New Testament that in Acts chapter 13, that as they were considering reaching out to the nations around them, that during a period of fasting, they raised up Paul and Barnabas or Silas. I can't remember. and I don't have the passage right in front of me written out. The early church fasted as they prepared to appoint elders. But the early church didn't fast before replacing Judas in Acts chapter 1. The early church didn't fast when they chose deacons in Acts chapter 6. They didn't fast during that great council 
Uh, it's not recorded in Scripture anyway, when they were trying to figure out what do we do about Gentiles and the law of God in Acts chapter 15. Now, those are from silence, right? So you can't draw too strong a conclusion from something by, based on what's not there. But it's interesting to think about. Those are, seem to be discernment things that they pray, and when they've resolved, then you fast. Again, I'm willing to be corrected on that one, but that seems to be the pattern. John Stott put it this way, the great preacher and theologian, we are not to humble ourselves before God only in penitence for past sins, however, but also in dependence on him for future mercy. That we break with past sins and we look to him for future mercy. In other words, fasting done well is an expression of you seeking the better. Right? That you say, you know what? I've messed up in the past. God, forgive. I want to go in a different direction. You're saying, this is the way I think I ought to go. God, would you bless and give mercy as we try to head that direction? That it's an expression of our dependence upon God. In other words, it's like you're saying, Lord, I know these things are in your hands. I am depending on you more than my physical needs. Lord, would you meet me here? It's a humbling expression. That God would be gracious. It's, it's not at all about earning his favor. That would totally defeat the purpose, right? That it's about dependence on God. It's not about our own self-control even. It's about saying, Lord, I, I need you. I need your forgiveness, and I need your hope for the future. Lord, there's nothing other than this present moment that I have in my hands. Looking back, I've messed up. Looking to the future, Lord, I don't know what the future holds. Would you give mercy? It's about in the moment. And, and, and it, I think as you have the hunger pangs, as you're going through denial of whatever it might be, that in those places, God meets you there in that moment. Even, even good things can be temptations to sin. Even good things can take hold of our hearts. I believe that's in fact why Jesus said that we, we need to give up even really good things if they cause us to stumble. Speaking of a hand, right? If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Very graphic, dramatic language to say, if there is anything in your life that might lead you to sin, be willing to let it go. Consider cutting it off. And fasting is sort of a very focused way of saying, you know what, I can, I can all of my physical needs, I can depend on them. If I've got a full kitchen, a uh, full refrigerator, if I've got food in a grocery store down the, store, down the road, like all those things can say, you know what, this is more important to me. I don't need God. And to, to voluntarily deny yourself of something like food or anything else that is good, to pursue what is better is an expression of your confidence in the Lord, in the moment, and moment by moment. That you would pause what is good, pursue what is better, and you'll find that you profit what is best. That's our third point today. That you would profit what is best. He says at the end of this passage something interesting. I wonder if you noticed verse 18. Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. 
There's so many things in here, I wish we had more time to talk about that seem kind of contradictory. You know, Jesus said, shine your light before others that they would see your good works and glorify God. Right now he's saying, don't, don't do good things to be noticed by others. Here he's saying, you know, don't try to get noticed by other people. Do it for God, but God's going to reward you. Wait, what? What's the reward? What would the reward be? Hmm. That you would get what is best. That, that if you pause what is good and pursue what is better, you're going to find that, you, that the benefit is what is best. That you would get what's best. More of God. That you would have more of Him in your life. That you would have that satisfaction. That you would not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. As Jesus said in resisting the devil and his temptations, quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8. That Jesus said Himself that my food is to do the will of Him who sent me. And to accomplish his work, that's John 4, 34. That fasting is feasting when we're doing it for the Lord. When our hearts are desiring more of the Lord, he gives us more of the Lord. When we say, I'm going to give up this good thing to pursue what is better, that is a relationship with you, Lord. I want to go deeper with you, Lord. That it's always kind of, we put off this and we're going to put on this other thing. Some people advocate, you know, if, if you fast for one meal a day or something, maybe you take the money you would have spent on that and, and give it to uh, ministry to the poor or something like that. Other folks say, you know, if you skip the meal, maybe you just uh, you set aside some time and you go pray in that season. Uh, whatever it is, as Justin has talked about with the media fast, you know, if you give up all of the media things that are coming at you, you're going to have a lot more time, and what do you do with that time? Justin had some good ideas. You spend it with family, right? You, you spend more time in prayer. You spend more time with the Word, with God Himself. And you'll find that there's satisfaction in that. Studies, uh, research studies, very long-term studies at Harvard, I think, was, a, was the main focal point of this. Decades of studying the same people found that happiness is rooted in those relationships. It's not in having stuff or money or anything else. It's, it's in interactions with other people. They don't bring in the God element. And I'm sure if they did and could quantify it and research it and qualify it, that it would show that, you know what, the greatest satisfaction would come from that relationship and this relationship. In fact, you can't separate them. If you have a good and healthy relationship with the Lord, you're going to have and seek to have good and relationships, healthy relationships with other people. Those things go together. The Lord would, would teach us that fasting is feasting. It leads us to have more of Him. He says, uh, just a little before this in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, 4, Blessed are those who mourn, those who grieve, for they shall be comforted. He says just after that in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. That we would pursue this God who makes Himself known to us and recognize 
in very practical, realistic, moment-by-moment ways that we need Him more than food. And He'll meet us there. And that weakness will be strength. Not only will fasting be feasting, but weakness is strength. James says it this way, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. That in the Christian realm, in the kingdom of God, following Jesus, it's always the way up is down first. I don't know if you've heard about the the Asbury revival that is happening on the campus of a college. I think it's in Kentucky. Uh, Google it later. Not now. Uh, but there's, there's a revival going on. that the, the, the young people and even community people are coming into the chapel services. And it started with a confession of sin. When one student and others just were moved to confess their sins. I think in the history of the church, that's very often the revival source is when we are aware of our sins and we confess them to God, we confess them to others and God meets us there. He said it. He is faithful. He will keep his promises. If you humble yourself, he will meet you there. If you're feeling less of God in your life, there could be a lot of reasons why. And the first step maybe you should take is to say, Lord, have mercy. Show me my sins. He meets us in our affliction as we humble ourselves, which ought to make sense. Because the way we meet God is through Jesus who humbled himself. The God of the universe who did not consider it to hold on to the glories he has before the Father, but humbled himself, taking on the form of humanity, uniting himself to human beings forever. That he might be honored and adored, right? No, that he might be oppressed and afflicted like a sheep led to the slaughter that He would bear our afflictions, that we would consider Him stricken, smitten of God. He'd be oppressed and afflicted. And by His wounds, we would be healed. That all we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all, the sin of us all. That it's no wonder that the way up the way closer to God who is in heaven above is to go down to humble ourselves in the dust because that's where Jesus meets us not that he might grind our face into the dirt not that he might make us feel terrible for the rest of our lives and tell us we don't measure up but that in fact he might meet us there and say I'm here I'm with you let's get up You're forgiven. It's a cycle we have to keep going back to. But that's the promise of the gospel, and that's the pinpoint of fasting, it seems to me. 
that it's us acknowledging we need to be humbled before the Lord and doing something physically to make that happen. That in fact, uh, fasting naturally and organically happens when we experience real grief. If you have lost someone or lost anything that's super important to you, you know this experience that you just, if you lost a spouse, a child, a parent that meant a lot to you, even a job, uh, opportunities, anything like that, you, you just, you don't feel like eating. You grieve. You have no appetite. And I think there is something in that. That what we're saying when we fast, when we deny ourselves and deprive ourselves of what is good, is we're saying, I'm, I'm going to try to jump into that experience. And I think there might be a sense of faking it till you make it. Where you do what you would do if you really felt it. And I, I, I don't know biologically, you know, the, the whole brain chemistry thing, but... I do know that if you start yelling, you often feel angry. If you smile, you feel happy. I think there's a sense in which if you will afflict your body, denying yourself of food for a season, or if you deny yourself of something else that is good, and you go through that process, I think it generates in us the things that support it. Especially as we're doing it for the Lord. As you're seeking Him in the midst of it. We've got in the email today that went out for the Sunday update and Lord willing coming out in a little while, if you want help going through the media fast or engaging in some sort of spiritual discipline to deny yourself something to grow closer to God, we're going to have a text message every day, Lord willing, starting on Monday. It's going to be geared toward the media fast, but it'll be broader than that as well. And I encourage you to think about it. I encourage you to not shoot too high. You know, don't say, I'm going to give up everything forever. You know. What would be something that maybe has a little too close of a hold on your heart? You know, maybe it's just coffee. To demonstrate, you know what, Lord, I need to live without coffee. Or candy. Or, or Facebook. Or some other social media. Video games. Or some other thing, right? To prayerfully consider that. And how long you want to commit to giving up that good thing. Pause what is good. That you might pursue what is better. And maybe you feel like there's some sin you need to repent of and focus on heading in a new direction for. Or maybe you're seeking God's future mercy because you have in your mind, this is a path I need to go on and asking the Lord to be with you. But in the midst of it, whatever it is you're wrestling with there, that if it's toward the Lord, seeking Him throughout this process, you will profit what is best. The Lord will meet you and satisfy your hunger and thirst for righteousness. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, set us free from wrong approaches to fasting, either total neglect of it or wrong understanding and practicing it. Set us free, Lord, and help us to, to grow in taking up our cross and following you, denying ourselves uh, not to beat ourselves up and punish ourselves, 
but to set ourselves free, to focus on You. Lord, I pray You'd give wisdom to those who are considering fasting from food. I pray You'd give wisdom for all who are considering giving up something good to pursue what is better. And Lord, give us much grace. Give us revival in our hearts. And give us mercy for the future, Lord. That we might hunger and thirst for You. And that You would satisfy us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.